We all take precautions against hackers on the ground, but what about when we're in the air? From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Pete Combs with your trusted source for business aviation news. Do you know what sort of security your onboard Wi-Fi system has? What type of encryption does it use? Does it isolate users from one another? These are important questions to ask as the technology of onboard Wi-Fi continues to evolve. So, let's dive into that topic now with Josh Wheeler. He's Senior Director of both Entry into Service and Cybersecurity at SATCOM Direct. And Todd Wormington, NBAA's Vice President of Technology and Security. Josh, paint the big picture for us, if you will. How is our industry doing in trying to manage cybersecurity threats? Flight departments are very good at a few things. Um, they know how to maintain the integrity and security of the physical aircraft and, and the crew and passengers. Um, a lot of passengers assume the comms are safe. We, we repeatedly say altitude does not equate to safety. Um, but, you know, there's no question of it. Uh, you assume that when you connect to a Wi-Fi hotspot that the comms are secured or there's something going on in the background. But passengers rarely think to inquire as to what's happening with the actual traffic as it transverses the network. And flight departments, once again, since they are so good at operating the aircraft, um, security kind of falls on, a, on the back burner. We often see that corporate IT groups with large corporations, they, there's often a disconnect within the flight department, uh, being that it's a different network, it's a different way to connect. Um, they don't have allocated or dedicated resources. Uh, you know, that's starting to change, but for the most part, uh, most customers that I do interact with, they are segregated from the traditional um, IT where these precautions would typically come into place. So it's just really just the lack of knowledge and exposure. Tom, tell me about the NBAA position on this. How did that develop over time? Sure, Pete. I think it's largely driven by our members' interest in companies like Josh's uh, and others that have brought attention to the importance of cybersecurity and the fact that uh, the airplane, even if it is in the air, doesn't mean that what's happening uh, digitally on it isn't at risk. And I think that's something that um, that we pay attention to. I think our members increasingly are interested in it and have been for a while. And I think what Josh said earlier, if I key off of it just for a moment, um, about the connection between the corporate IT and uh, the flight department, oftentimes there is a disconnect there. But um, but that is a, a great resource if you have it to seek it out and um, connect with those folks and make sure that they understand um, that the airplane is connected and it is it's another network that they should be paying attention to and concerned about. Yeah, it's a great point. And Josh, let me ask you, when you look at IT departments that are connected to companies with flight departments, is there some sort of a barrier? Uh, do they just, they don't feel comfortable walking into the hangar sometimes? How does that work? Uh, so it, it's a barrier both of, you know, the physical distance and a lot of the time, you know, flight departments are segregated in a different location than the corporate office, but also just a, a lack of knowledge of the SATCOM equipment that gets you to the point. Terrestrial networking is very different. It's a very different approach to it. Um, latency, all these other aspects that come into a satellite network um, really are, are outside most IT groups' comfort zones. 
Um, I've often heard the Starbucks example, treat your aircraft as you're on its Starbucks on public Wi-Fi. That's really not applicable anymore because with you know, the onboard of high-speed connectivity, whether it's KU, KA, or some air-to-ground networks, you have a lot more bandwidth, and it really becomes an office in the sky. It is no different than any other satellite office, and it really should be treated as such. Are there certain areas of the world where we have to be extra attentive to the issues of cybersecurity? And, and that's a great question and, and often a misconception. Really, anywhere you're traveling in the world, I mean, obviously, if you land specific FBOs, you may be wary of you know, rogue Wi-Fi, things like this. But for the most part, IP, IP technologies is irrelevant no matter where you are. An IP address can come from anywhere. You can potentially be at risk anywhere in the world you are flying. What can we do to secure the aircraft Wi-Fi, the satellite transceiver? I mean, how can we make that more secure than it is when we pull it out of the box and install it in the aircraft? Well, so inherently a satellite link has some layers of encryption, but part of the challenge also is where did that traffic drop? Does it go through a satellite access station and release to the public internet? Do you need to transverse back to egress to the data center? Do you want it to go to your corporate headquarters? So these are things that need to be taken into consideration, which once again, that passengers just assume that these communications are happening. Um, obviously on wing, locking down, securing your Wi-Fi is, is paramount. Um, no matter where you are, if you pull up to an FBO and you're broadcasting open Wi-Fi, well, anything you, any asset you may have on board of that aircraft would be potentially vulnerable. Um, really, I would say the biggest challenge is um, a BYOD or bring your own device. Uh, many passengers are bring on something that maybe the flight department has never seen before. They're unfamiliar with that that equipment. It could be a guest's laptop. It could be, you know, a mobile device that has some kind of a spyware on it. Well, no kidding. So if I bring a computer in with a virus on it and I connect to the Wi-Fi on the aircraft, there's absolutely nothing in the world that would stop me from transmitting that malware to the, to the aircraft equipment itself. Is that right? Traditionally speaking, yes. If there's no precautions in place, then, then absolutely. Many viruses, they do. They, they look to get onto a local area network or land and then they'll try to transverse that land to look for any other device they could potentially compromise. And once again, corporations are very good about securing assets brought on board that are corporate assets, but say it's the, uh, the owner's wife, it's a, a child, a friend of the family that may be a guest, you have no idea on what that device may have on board. If you um, subscribe to SD's threat monitoring service, however, we, we actually do have the ability to put in proactive firewalls that can help mitigate some risk, but it's something to always be vigilant of. Todd, what is NBAA doing to help address this issue with its members? We're doing podcasts like this one. We're doing our security conference, which recently had uh, close to 100 attendees uh, join folks out in Seattle for it. Uh, we are alerting members uh, to issues as they come up and trying to make sure that uh, the issue stays forefront um, and that we provide people uh, with expertise like Josh um, today to talk to our members about how they can uh, secure their aircraft and their uh, passengers on board with their, their various devices that they have. Gentlemen, do we have any recommended protocols for not just passengers, but also crew who are coming on board with their connected devices? I'd recommend uh, really what Josh was talking about, um, treating the aircraft Wi-Fi as a zero trust uh, network, that model, um, very much like a guest uh, Wi-Fi a situation for an office that you you don't know the devices that are connecting to it they may not be managed uh, directly by you and so the best course of action is to make sure that they are uh, segmented from uh, things that would be 
uh, critical to the operation of the aircraft, but also ideally segmented from each other as well. So they're able to see up to the internet, but they're not able to see other devices. And that particular model uh, works really well to make sure that that when you have untrusted devices on the same network, that they they can't talk to each other, they can't interfere uh, with each other or spread anything malicious around. Todd brought up an excellent point earlier that education is paramount. Um, bringing these incidences to life, um, reoccurring training, you know, any way you can expose both um, a flight crew or a corporate IT group that's going to interact with the, with the aircraft environment to the, the, the known risks that are out there. I'm phishing scams where, you know, end users are still clicking on those trusting links that look like they are from a known sender. So exposure to some of these threats and how to mitigate is, is really your front line of defense. Um, your weakest link is, you know, the user who doesn't adhere to security protocols. And, you know, and that's when you become a risk and, or open yourself up to risk. Um, also, you know, Wi-Fi isolation, as Todd mentioned, is great. A way to segment users from um, each other. Um, also, if you have any kind of an IDS or IPS intrusion prevention or intrusion detection abilities, if you could put those into place to kind of help further mitigate risk from these um, you know, these BYOD devices that are introduced into your aircraft environment. Um, it's all defense in depth, layered security. The more locks you do have on a door, the harder it is really to get in. Guys, a, a while back, um, I asked you here in this podcast about any specific places on this planet where cybersecurity is an especially grave concern. And I want to bring up travel internationally because I have understood in the past that there are some countries when you're flying over them, your data is absolutely at risk. Josh, are you familiar with that? No, that's that's true. Depending on the nature of the, the connection, um, there are some countries that will intercept data um, to a ground station in their in their in their nation, and um, that's then available for them to scan. Um, that's kind of a man in the middle attack, where really that you know there's. No real precaution you can take. Um, it's either you shut off your SATCOM systems or you allow that traffic to just get passed through that that, that, that nation. So it, it's definitely a challenge. Um, I want to say some of the higher speed networks, there's less risk now just because simply the fact is that these ground stations have not been built yet for the higher speed networks, but that could change tomorrow. Also, while on ground, um, you know, if it's a country you haven't frequented, um, Best practice would be to, you know, use loaner devices. A lot of corporations will give you laptops, something you could check out or borrow, um, maybe a prepaid mobile phone, things that if you're going into a country that's that's higher risk, you could bring these in. That way you're not bringing your traditional corporate asset on board. Um, some hotels can be compromised. Um, leaving your Wi-Fi off by default on all devices is safe until you know the nature of the network you're connecting to. So these are just some things that you could do when you are traveling overseas. Todd, do we have any idea where that is a risk, where in the world our data is is at that kind of risk? Or, or Josh, do you know either one? Well, I'll offer that, uh, you know, that we use a list of countries uh, primarily put together by the State Department um, that we consider to be of higher risk. Um, China, Russia <clears throat> come to the top of that list, uh, but as you know, I think as Josh mentioned at the beginning of the podcast on this topic, you really have to be uh, aware that any type of uh, attack can come from anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter where you are 
physically located, yes, there's extra precautions you should take around what devices you have and what data is on those devices when you travel to higher risk area uh, areas of the world. And also just keeping physical control of those devices is important. Um, but yeah, I think I would seek out advice uh, in particular if you're traveling to places that uh, could be deemed higher risk. So we talked about intrusion detection, and we've talked a little bit about some of the places in the world where uh, cybersecurity is a major concern to the point that, as Josh mentioned, you might want to just shut the whole system down. I have, on all of my devices now, I have a VPN, a virtual private network, and I wonder if that's an effective way to safeguard my data. For VPNs, they do have uh, value if they are set up properly. Uh, but you need to remember that uh, it's not a 100% fail-safe. Uh, the data does still reach an endpoint uh, on the VPN side and exit from that out to the public Internet in many cases unless it's it's remaining internal. Uh, so I certainly recommend having a VPN even on mobile devices and being able to use it uh, around the world. Some places that's a lot harder than others. China uh, certainly makes it difficult to use VPNs reliably, uh, whether it's a mobile or our non-mobile device, uh, but they, they definitely can add uh, an extra layer of security, very much like Josh was saying, in terms of the additional layers and locks that you can have. Um, it is defense in depth. That's really what you need to, to be able to overcome today's threats. Josh, go ahead. Uh, and, and to that point, yes, VPNs, um, fundamentally, anything that's encrypted is going to be much harder to, to get into to, to kind of grab that data. Um, one of the challenges, though, we do see that VPNs just inherently due to the overhead it takes to encrypt that data. It can be a challenge on wing on, on while flying just because the latency is so high. You know, you're looking at in some cases 50,000 miles round trip to get to, you know, your intended source, your destination and a VPN overhead can sometimes reduce that um, in upwards of 40%. So, you know, it's security is always going to be a challenge of convenience and in fact in I think I saw a recent statistic. It said 54% of employees within a corporation will bypass security protocols for convenience. So we're seeing, at least from SecCom Direct's perspective, many customers are shutting down the VPN because it's slowing down their internet. And ultimately, you're throwing security out the window when you make that decision. So um, once again, to speak to the defense in depth, you know, there's other things that you can do in combination with a VPN. So you just need to be aware of everything available to you. 54% of people in our corporations in the United States will bypass security because it's a, a it's an inconvenience? Yes. Whether it's they know how to log into their windows without, say, multi-factor authentication. Maybe it's a, uh, they, they bypass Wi-Fi protocol. Yeah. Uh, but people will inherently lean towards convenience every time. Guys, is there anything we can do in the aircraft, in the, in the, sat, uh, the satellite device? Uh, to, to make it more secure? I'm going to guess that's a Josh question. Uh, well, once again, I would say lean on your service provider. From the SD perspective, we offer a pretty aggressive, um, um, you know, firewalls with embedded um, intrusion protection and um, intrusion detection. So, you know, we, we have threat monitoring. So, you know, man 24-7 in which we can offer up that, that additional layer. Um, so that, that's one measure you can take. Um, I know some corporations will work with uh, the flight departments to put an onboard device where they can launch a um, what's called a site-to-site -site VPN, which it does help with the overhead to a degree. But once again, um, that's that. those are conversations that really need to be had with uh, a corporate IT and uh, the flight department. 
is this a costly uh, solution or is this cost effective? It depends on the nature of it. Um, you could really scale at any kind of a security build to where it can be very, very expensive, but um, it doesn't have to be. Um, it can be very cost effective when it's just going to, you know, uh, depending on the number of aircraft, the number of passengers, fleet, things like this. So uh, there's there's variance, variances there for sure. Sure. Guys, I want to wrap up with uh, one, one last question. If you had, uh, if I asked you the top three things you think I need to do to make my use of of uh, internet on the aircraft more secure. What would those three things be? Todd, do you want to start? Sure. I mean, my my three things would be first work with corporate IT if they, that's available. Do you have those folks involved um, in helping you secure the aircraft and the networking and on it? Uh, second one would be to engage third party experts and do uh, pen tests and audits. I know this is something that uh, Josh and Satcom direct to it's something the NBA does as well. And I think it's critical to understanding where your weak points are uh, and fixing those before somebody else uh, does them. And then the third is is on education. It's, uh, it's critically important that um, everybody involved understands uh, what's at risk and how to mitigate that risk uh, and what the best practices are. I mean, it is oftentimes a battle against convenience, but I think we can't ignore uh, convenience and, and security component of it and how you make those two uh, balance each other out is uh, critical to figure that out. Todd, you mentioned a moment ago there is a list of countries where uh, cybersecurity is most challenging, and you said it comes from the State Department. Where can I find that list? Uh, it's on the State Par- Department's website. Uh, they oftentimes also are tweeting uh, about updates for when they change the status of a country in terms of its risk profile. Uh, we saw this, I think, most recently with uh, with China uh, and some of the issues around uh, corporate visitors potentially being at risk for for legal actions within the country. Okay, and Josh, uh, your your top three, perhaps. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to echo Todd. You know, he he hit the nail on the head. Um, it really does come down to um, assessment and education. So, you know, flight departments. I'll use the OSHA example. You know, why do we paint the hangar floors, the stairs the way we do? Where, why do we designate specific eyewash stations, things like this? Um, it's for the integrity of the aircraft and the crews. So typically you'll see, you know, a safety officer who's re- charged with recurrent training. Maybe there's audits performed by OSHA to, you know, checklists. Uh, cybersecurity should, should be looked at the same way. And there's entities out there. Um, NIST is one, N-I-S-T. So that's a great resource Um that actually contributes to the list that you know Todd has mentioned as far as you know just at-risk countries. They have established procedurals, um, it, and it, and then it comes down to educating folks. So routine assessment, education, and then if I had to say I had a third one, I would say just um, you know simple things that we may overlook. Those little nagging Windows updates, um, Adobe Reader updates, you know uh, things that we can prevent locally on our devices that potentially could avoid an event or a vulnerability being exploited. And that's what I would say are my top three. That's Josh Wheeler at SATCOM Direct, along with NBAA's Todd Wormington. If you go to the NBAA website, you'll find PDP courses on cybersecurity for flight departments. You'll also find tips for enhancing cybersecurity aboard your aircraft. And you heard Josh mention NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which tracks cyber threats. Well, you'll find their website at NIST. There's one more resource Todd heartily recommends, and that's the FBI Business Travel Brochure. You'll find that on the web. Just Google it by name, FBI Business 
travel brochure. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan podcasts at Apple's iTunes website, wherever you get your podcasts, or you can download them from nbaa.org. I'm Pete Combs. Thanks for listening to Flight Plan. Flight Plan.